Lesson 6 for February 2 through to 8, The Sealed People of God. Sabbath afternoon, February 2. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're viewing mighty things in the book of Revelation. We are struggling with understanding what each of these seals means and represents, but your word is there for us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we enter into this lesson this week. And for each of us, not just in our Bible study, but in our personal lives, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be there to bless and to comfort us and to strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let's read that again, Revelation 7, verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The opening of the seven seals shows us that every person who claims to believe in Christ will receive blessings for faithfulness or curses for unfaithfulness. The first four seals describe God's disciplinary means to rouse his people from their spiritual lethargy and make them victorious. Yet, God's people also suffer injustice and oppression in a world hostile to the gospel. At the opening of the sixth seal, God is ready to deal with those who harmed his people. Chapter 7 is an interlude inserted parenthetically between the sixth and seventh seals. The sixth seal brings us to the second coming of Christ. As the wicked face judgment, Revelation 7 answers their question about who will stand on the day of Christ's coming. Those who have been sealed, the 144,000. The other characteristics of the 144,000 are given in Revelation 14, verses 1 to 5, which read, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the hundred and forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. There is also an interlude inserted between the sixth and seventh trumpets in uh, Revelation 10 verse 1 to chapter 11 verse 14. This interlude, which commences with the second great awakening and the birth of the Advent movement, coincides with the same time period as the opening scenes of chapter 7 and focuses on the experience and task of God's end-time people. And Revelation 10, beginning at verse 1 through to chapter 11 verse 14. 
I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives for ever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months, and it will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God, the God of the earth. And if any one wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any one wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven, so that no rain falls in the day of this prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven, saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. 
Sunday, February 3, Restraining the Winds Question. Read Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, along with 2 Peter 3, 9 to 14. What does John see? How long are the angels supposed to restrain the winds? What will happen when the sealing is concluded? Revelation 7, beginning at verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And Second Peter 3, 9-14 to The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. In the Old Testament, winds stand for destructive forces by which God executes judgments upon the wicked. As we see in Jeremiah 23, 19 and 20, Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. And Daniel 7 verse 2, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. As the angels of God cease to hold in check the fierce winds of human passions, all the elements of strife will be let loose, Ellen White writes in The Great Controversy, page 614. These destructive forces are being restrained by divine intervention while the sealing of God's people takes place. In ancient times, the primary meaning of sealing was ownership. The meaning of the symbolic sealing in the New Testament is that the Lord knows who are his, Second Timothy 2.19. God recognizes his own people and seals them with the Holy Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And Ephesians 4 verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
At the end time, the seal on the forehead is given to God's faithful people who keep his commandments. We read about that in Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It is not a visible mark put on one's forehead, but as Ellen White states, it means settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they, that's God's people, cannot be moved. Last Day Events, page 220. In contrast, those who ultimately side with the beast receive the mark of the beast, as we read in Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. The faithfulness of God's sealed people has been tested in every generation. However, the test of faithfulness in the final crisis will be the keeping of God's commandments. As we read in Revelation 12 verse 17 and Revelation 14 verse 12. Revelation 12.17 reads, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 14.12, Here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In particular, the fourth commandment will become the test of obedience to God, as we read in Revelation 14.7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. As the Sabbath has been the sign of God's people in biblical times, so it will be the sign of loyalty to God in the final crisis. Ezekiel 20 and verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And in verse 20, Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And Hebrews 4 verses 9 and 10, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. At the time of the end, the seal also functions as a sign of protection from the destructive forces of the seven last plagues. And we'll look at Ezekiel 9, 1-11 for the backdrop imagery of Revelation 7, 1-3. And Ezekiel 9, verse 1 reads, Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his battle-axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen, and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. 
Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, where it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen, who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the temple. Then he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Get out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was, that while they were killing them, I was left alone, and I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great, and the land is full of bloodshed, and the city full of perversity. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and the Lord does not see. And as for me also, my eye will neither spare, nor will I have pity, but I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Just then, the man clothed with linen, who had the inkhorn at his side, reported back and said, I have done as you have commanded me. And uh, Revelation 7, 1 to 3, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on the tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Thus the question raised in Revelation 6.17, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? receives the ultimate answer. Those who will be able to stand protected on the day of God's wrath are the sealed people of God. So to finish the day, Paul warns us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we have been sealed, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? How does one grieve the Holy Spirit? Once you have your answer, what choices can you make to help you not to grieve him? Monday, February 4, The Sealed People of God Question, read Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 through to 8. What is the number of God's sealed people? What is the meaning of that specific number? Revelation 7, beginning at verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. 
Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. The announcement of the number of those who were sealed marks the completion of the sealing. John hears that their number is 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. The reference here is not to a literal number, but to what it signifies. The number 144,000 consists of 12 times 12 times 1,000. Twelve is a symbol of God's people. The tribes of Israel and the church built upon the foundation of the twelve apostles, Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Thus, the number 144,000 stands for the totality of God's end-time people, all Israel, Jews and Gentiles, who are ready for Christ's return and who will be translated without seeing death. Romans 11, verse 26, And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And First Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 53, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality the twelve tribes listed in revelation seven are obviously not literal because the twelve tribes of israel encompassing both the northern and southern kingdoms are not in existence today. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom were taken into captivity during the Assyrian conquest, as we read in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 6 to 23, where they became integrated with other nations. Thus, the twelve tribes did not constitute Judaism today. Second Kings 17, beginning at verse 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree, and they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them, and they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. 
Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law that I have commanded your fathers, and which I send to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a moulded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight." For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They did not depart from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is, to this day. Also, the list of the twelve tribes in Revelation 7 is like no other found in Scripture. Judah is listed as the first tribe in Revelation 7 verse 5 instead of Reuben, which is in the list of Numbers 1 verse 15. Also, the tribes of Dan and Ephraim, included in the list of Numbers 1 and Ezekiel 48, are omitted from the list in Revelation 7, while Levi and Joseph are included instead in Revelation 7 verses 7 and 8. The obvious reason for the exclusion of Ephraim and apparently Dan from the list in Revelation 7 is that, in the Old Testament, these two tribes are apostate and idolatrous, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 29 and 30 and Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17. In 1 Kings 12, beginning at verse 29, we read, And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And in Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. The list of the tribes in Revelation 7 is not historical, but spiritual. The absence of Dan and Ephraim from the list suggests that the unfaithfulness of these two tribes will have no place among God's sealed people. Also, the church in the New Testament is referred to as the Twelve Tribes of Israel in James 1.1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. 
The twelve tribes in Revelation 7 stand for the entire people of God who endure to the end, both Jews and Gentiles. And so to finish today, what Bible assurances does God give for those who will live through the time of trouble? Tuesday, February 5, The Great Multitude Question, read Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. What group of saints does John see at this point? How are they described, and where do they come from? What are they shouting before God's throne? Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John sees a great multitude which no one could number, who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, That's verse 14 of Revelation chapter 7. That is, they are a special group of people who, despite whatever tribulation they went through, have stayed faithful to Jesus, a faithfulness symbolized by their being covered in the robes of his perfect righteousness. The word tribulation is used very frequently in the Bible to refer to the things that believers suffer for their faith. See, for example, Exodus 4, verse 31, Psalm 9, 9, Matthew 24, 9, John 16, 33, and Romans 5 and verse 3. First of all, Exodus 4, verse 31. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. And Psalm 9, verse 9, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And John 16, and verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Romans 5, verse 3 reads, And not only that, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Therefore, although some Adventist interpreters view this group as another representation of the 144,000, we could understand the great multitude as a reference to all the redeemed who have suffered for their faith down through the ages. Here too, in John's description of the great multitude which no one could number, we see, as we do in all the Bible, the great theme of salvation by grace, the only claim of the redeemed to salvation, to eternal life, to the new heavens and the new earth, is the righteousness of Christ, which is given to them 
by grace. As we read in the Great Controversy, page 665, Nearest the throne are those who were once zealous in the cause of Satan, but who, plucked as brands from the burning, have followed their Saviour with deep, intense devotion. Next are those who perfected Christian characters in the midst of falsehood and infidelity, those who honoured the law of God when the Christian world declared it void, and the millions of all ages who were martyred for their faith. And beyond is the great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Their warfare is it ended, their victory won. They have run the race and reached the prize. The palm branch in their hands is a symbol of their triumph, the white robe an emblem of the spotless righteousness of Christ, which now is theirs. And so to finish the day, yes, we are covered with the righteousness of Christ, a gift of faith. But how can we maintain that faith and stay faithful amid trials and tribulation? Or even more important, how do we maintain that faith and faithfulness in times of ease and prosperity? And we're told to look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 17. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwelt in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you, to do you good in the end, and that you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Wednesday, February 6. Those who follow the Lamb. Question. Read Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through to 5. What are the three chief characteristics of the 144,000 saints? How are these characteristics related to the description of the end-time saints in Revelation 14, verse 12? Revelation 14, beginning at verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who 
who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In verse 12, here is the patience of the saints, here are those who keep the commandments of God, and the faith of Jesus. Revelation chapter 14 verses 4 and 5 is a description of the 144,000 that aligns with God's last day people, who, as it says in verse 12, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Although they experience the fullness of Satan's wrath in the final crisis, they have remained firm because of their close relationship with Jesus. Question, in light of Revelation 17.5, in what sense have the 144,000 not been defiled with women? How is the purity of their character related to the fact that they are redeemed from the earth as the firstfruits of God? Revelation 14, verse 4, read... These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And our text for today, Revelation 17 verse 5 reads, And on their forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Sexual immorality is a symbol of unfaithfulness to God. Revelation 17.5 talks about the end-time harlot Babylon and her daughters, with whom all the people of the world will commit fornication, as it says in Revelation 18.3, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. However, the 144,000 will remain loyal to Christ and resist the defiling relationships with Babylon and the apostate churches. The 144,000 follow the Lamb wherever he goes, it said in verse 4 of chapter 14. The 144,000 are further described as the ones who have been redeemed from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and that's in the same verse. In ancient Israel, the first fruits were the best fruits of the harvest offered to God. As we read in Numbers 18 verse 12, all the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. The word firstfruits can refer to saved people as distinct from those in the world, as we read in James 1.18. But in Revelation, the 144,000 are clearly a special group because they will be translated without seeing death. And we'll look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 and 52. But first, James 1 and verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Thus, they are the first fruits of the larger harvest of the saved through all the ages. Revelation 14, verses 14 to 16 reads, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. So to finish today, what are ways we can, even unknowingly, be in danger of committing spiritual fornication? Why do we delude ourselves if we think we are not in such danger? Thursday, February 7, Salvation to our God and the Lamb. Question, read Revelation chapter 14 verse 5 along with 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 and Jude 24 and 25. Revelation describes God's end-time people as without fault. How is this state achievable. Revelation 14 verse 5, And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And Second Peter 3 and verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And Jude 24 and 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The final characteristic of the 144,000 is that in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God, as we read in Revelation 14 verse 5. While the people of the world choose to believe Satan's lies, God's end-time people, who are without deceitfulness in speech or conduct, will receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, as we read in Second Thessalonians 2 verses 10 and 11. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Without fault, Greek amomos, blameless, refers to the fidelity of the 144,000 to Christ. In the Bible, God's people are called to be holy, as we read in Leviticus 19 verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 reads, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Abraham and Job were blameless. 
Abraham, Genesis 17, verse 1. When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And Job 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Christians are called to be holy and without blemish before God, Ephesians 5 and verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, and Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Question. Read Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. Why must we always keep this crucial truth before us? Romans 3, beginning at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the closing days of this world's history, the 144,000 will reflect the character of Christ. Their salvation will reflect what Christ has done for them and in them, rather than their own holiness and works. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And that reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The 144,000 have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, as we read in Revelation 7, verse 14. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and as such are found spotless and blameless before God, as it says in Second Peter 3, verse 14. So, to finish today, from Selected Messages, Book 3, pages 355 and 356, we read, We need to be refined, cleansed from all earthliness, till we reflect the image of our Saviour and become partakers of the divine nature. When the conflict of life is ended, when the armour is laid off at the feet of Jesus, when the saints of God are glorified, then and then only will it be safe to claim that we are saved and sinless. End of quote. How can we live a life of sanctification in active preparation for eternity and yet not suffer from the pitfalls of perfectionism and fanatical holiness?
Friday, February 8. The identity of the 144,000 is a hotly debated issue. What seems evident in Revelation is that the 144,000 are the last generation of God's people in the closing days of this earth's history. We know that they will go through the time of trouble and be protected from the seven last plagues, and that their loyalty will be tested like no generation in the past. Psalm 91 verses 7 to 16 A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him, and show him my salvation. Exactly who will be in that group is not revealed to us. Their identity is one of the secrets that God has kept for himself. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 reads, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. Only the future will reveal who will be a part of this group of saved saints. Regarding this mystery, we have been given a warning. It comes in Selected Messages, Book 1, page 174. Christ says that there will be those in the church who will present fables and suppositions when God has given grand, elevating, ennobling truths which should ever be kept in the treasure house of the mind. When men pick up this theory and that theory, when they are curious to know something it is not necessary for them to know, God is not leading them. It is not his plan that his people shall present something which they have to suppose, which is not taught in the word. It is not his will that they shall get into controversy over questions which will not help them spiritually, such as, who is to compose the 144,000? This those who are the elect of God will in a short time know without question. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Think of the following admonition. Let us strive with all the power that God has given us to be among the 144,000. That comes from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 970, a quote by Ellen White. How can we put these words into practice? How does this striving impact your daily decisions? 2. An important characteristic of the 144,000 end-time saints is the singing of the new song. It is a song that no one else can sing because it is a song of experience, an experience that no other group in history ever had. Revelation 14, verses 3 and 4, they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. 
These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And Revelation 15, verses 2 and 3. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are you always, O King of the saints. As you think of your own life, how does your present spiritual walk reflect a song of a fresh experience with God? Or does your life reflect your past stale stories of God's works in your life, lacking evidence of present commitment? What changes can you make right now to help you recommit your life to Him? And three, what is the difference between just knowing about Christ and truly knowing Him? If someone were to ask you, what is Christ like? What would you answer? And why? Inside Story Our mission story this week is by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. It's titled, Checklist for a Spouse. Lena made a list of the qualities that she sought in her future husband after she broke up with her first boyfriend. At the top of her list, a spiritual person. He must be organised, accept responsibility and have leadership qualities. She also wanted someone with similar hobbies like exercising and enjoying nature. Lena's mother shook her head. You'll have a hard time finding a man like this, she said. Lena, a German native, met her first boyfriend in high school and after graduating left him in Europe so she could work for a year as a mission teacher in the South American country of Guyana. In the jungles, she reflected about her boyfriend and realised that she had pursued the relationship based on feelings. Back in Germany, Lena ended the relationship and made the checklist that she showed to her mother. Months passed, and Lena immersed herself in university studies without any time or interest in marriage. One morning, during personal devotions, she felt impressed to read Ellen White's Letters to Young Lovers and made a new list. The list ended up being 75% new, cutting through feelings and culture to reach the heart of a relationship. Read the list at the link bit.ly slash lenas hyphen list. With the list in hand, Lena saw ways to improve in her own life. She wondered where she could find a man who met the criteria. Immediately, she remembered Gerson. Lena had met Gerson, a fellow German missionary in Guyana, and they had taught at the same high school for several months. They remained friends in Germany. Although Lena had been taught to allow the man to take the lead, she made her interest clear to Gerson the next time that they met at a church event. Gerson joyfully recognised her interest, but resolved to seek God's approval before revealing his own feelings. For three months he read the Bible, the Adventist home, and letters to young lovers to gain a better understanding of God's will for marriage. 
Finally, he realized that he and Lena shared similar principles and with the blessing of his parents and grandparents, reached out to Lena. Today, Lena and Gerson Engel are happily married and teach at Bogenhofen, a Seventh-day Adventist boarding school in Austria. Ellen White gives great advice on how to find the right husband or wife, Lena said. Read and practice what she says, and you'll be richly blessed. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department, and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.